0: Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 179. The Macrofab Engineering Podcast Useless Machine Contest, sponsored by Mauser Electronics, is in full swing. We have pro- cash prizes up for grabs. Contest ends August 10th, 2019, so get your projects entered. Check out the Macrofab blog and podcast episode 175 for more contest details so something's uh, kind of unique about this podcast right parker yeah i think our microphones have bleed over
1: <laughs> yeah sometimes
0: somehow they're bleeding a thousand miles away from each other or five feet dun 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 so i'm up here in colorado visiting Stephen. yeah we're doing like, you're up here for like 10 days or so something that, like that sounds about right i'm basically taking like the entire july 4th week off minus doing the podcast awesome yeah so this is the first in-person podcast we've done in gosh a year something like that whenever you left yeah a year something like that is it a year anniversary now since you've been up here uh a little bit over just
1: yeah just a tad bit over cool year and a month something like that so yeah we're we're recording down in the dungeon down in my basement yes it looks like a basement (laughs) or a dungeon (laughs) or a dungeon one or the other (laughs) There's no chains on the walls or anything like that. So, yeah, Parker has come up to hang out, have some fun, but also work on a bunch of stuff. Like, I mean, given the fact that this is not like a two- or three-day trip, we kind of made a list of like, let's knock out this and this and this. So we've been working on some projects and playing video games and drinking beer and throwing
0: darts and all kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. And so I've been working a lot on the Pentatar, finally. Um, basically, the last couple of months has just been like, looking at parts. Conceptual, right? Yeah, and designing parts and, like, Eagle, making sure the footprints are right and stuff. But I was, was finally like, okay, got to start the schematic finally, right? Yeah, this is like a rubber meets the road kind of portion. Yeah, and so in a day and a half, I have about 90% of the schematic done. And so now it's just, like, odds and ends to finish up, like, putting ESD protection on, on power that comes off the board and stuff like that. Um But one of the cool things we did... Was yesterday we simulated the MOSFET drivers,
1: right? Because so
0: from a lot of the uh, mechatronics in a way, you have MOSFETs that activate everything, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, you have basically you have n-channel MOSFETs that are current sinks for pretty much everything on on a pinball machine, right?
1: Which is like motor actuators and solenoids and things, right? Correct. Right. So. Each one of those MOSFETs is a pretty beefy little guy, right, that can handle the current spikes that go through everything. Correct. So typically when you have MOSFETs of that characteristic that can turn on, especially given that these are all kind of like um, lo- a logic level, guys, the uh, you have to drive them um, with, a, with a decent amount of current and they will draw – a decent amount of current on their gates, because a lot of times they have quite a bit of capacitance. Correct. On the on the front end. So we simulated that yesterday Yes. to try to get an idea of, like, what's the worst case scenario? Also, what's the fastest you could hammer this if you
0: wanted to? Yeah, and we were also looking at, um, because the solenoids are driven off a different power supply than the board logic stuff, and the grounds to make sure the potentials are the same, come across a little tiny 0805 jumper on the board. And so we wanted right. to make sure, hey, if you were hammering all these solenoids as fast as possible, because you're basically only passing the the gate current across that jumper, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, would it heat up in smoke or something bad happen? Well, actually, okay, so real quick, let's talk about that for a, uh, a
1: second because that, uh, that's really interesting. You, you have one ground on Correct. your board, and, and not necessarily... We're not talking about different ground planes, but you do have your ground kind of cut up in a way. Yeah, yeah, you And don't, what's your reasoning for
0: that? Well, it helps keep the, the noise from the solenoids away from all the other circuitry on the board. Right, because you technically have, like, what, three power supplies? 12, 5, and 50? Yes, yeah, we have three. And you really want to keep... Like, you don't want... Like, let's say if you put the... um like you took the two power supplies that are in the bottom of the cabinet and you connected the grounds there. Well, what if the MOSFET, what if one of the solenoids decides, hey, I want to return, you know, the easiest way for me to return is underneath your microcontroller. Right. It, that's the best current, uh, the lowest impedance for its return. It's like, you don't really want that to happen. So you're just like, okay, even though it might not be the lowest impedance for it, you want it to go in the areas you want it to go. So it's separated for that reason.
1: Right, you want to guide and steer your ground current and understand where it's going to and where it needs to return to, right? Yes. Yeah. That's like, honestly, that's like half of PCB layout is understanding like, okay, I'm spitting juice out of my power supply. It's got to come back. Where's it going to come back? That's that's one reason why, like, just dropping a giant zero ground plane isn't always the best option, you know? Sure. You gotta
0: you gotta think about it because I mean technically your board you could do that right that, that actually underneath all the other logic level stuff that's how it is it's well, only in the MOSFET solenoid section that it's separated out because I don't want it to go over there exactly that my current stuff
1: it, so it is it is one uninterrupted ground plane but you are you are you have chopped it basically yeah it's chopped yeah right and 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 in this kind of case that makes sense well okay so in. In boards that have large variance between their power supplies and current levels, that makes a big difference. Yes, yes.
0: pretty much have to do it. Yeah, you have to do it. Yeah. And and having basically the board be the spot where the two ground planes from the power supplies become the same potential, you reduce the uh, issues of basically the 50-volt power supply wanting to return through, let's say, the 12-volt actual line. Well, not the 12-volt line, but the ground for the 12-volt line. Right, right. Well,
1: and so I I was reading a book recently about this um, topic, and and what's interesting about it, think about this, um, low frequency or DC signals that are flowing through ground tend to flow more or less uniform through the ground plane. So let's say you just had a board that was a rectangle, and you had connections at both sides. It would just take the whole... It would just, yeah, it would take the whole thing. So if you had a high current going through that... More or less, the ground plane would lift in voltage uniformly, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have something like a solenoid where you turn it on, it has a huge current spike, like a very fast pulse right away, and then settles to a DC, what you'll have is it'll take a really short path through the lowest impedance section of the ground plane, and then as as, as, as soon as it settles, it then spreads across the entire thing so you get all of these really weird artifacts if you're trying to send huge current pulses that go from fast to slow through a ground plane mm-hmm. uh, and and it was interesting because i had never thought about that before it's i always thought of it one or the other you know if you, you got digital signals that have current pulses use a ground plane make sure you do you know your tracks above your return paths and yep. and, and like control it that way and that makes the, that makes sense but if you have these weird pulses that end up in dc then you got something a whole different beast to deal with yep yeah so it sounds like your method of dealing with it is the only place where they're connected will uh, is is one section that is some kind of a jumper yep. and the only current that'll flow through that is whatever drive you have
0: to the gates correct that's
1: the only thing that connects those two
0: correct yeah, and that, that sounds totally reasonable. Yeah, that's what we did on the older PINHEC board, and it seemed to be – it worked pretty well. Like, we never had any issues um, with that. But we just – this is one of those, like, hey, let's actually just calculate this and see what it was like. Right. And, like, are we going to blow up? Because we were changing our our drivers because on the PINHEC we were using AND gates because we were m- – uh, basically, muxing a bunch of signals together, and then if they're all ones, then, yeah, that solenoid's okay to fire, basically. Like, the watchdog was in on the AND gates, and the pulse from the microcontroller was also in there. Oh, it. did you have, like, a safety function thing? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Um, we also have one on this board as well, but we're doing it a different way. Yeah. That's cheaper. Okay. And it's actually better, too. <laughs> it's not just AND gates all over the place? No. Um, But, so... Five nine five drivers we're using can drive up to twenty milliamps Mm -hmm. if you just hammer them. But we were like, well, let's just do them at like fifty to sixty percent, you know, uh, duty cycle, not duty cycle, um, current rating. Right, right. And um, so we limited them to ten milliamps with a resistor, and in the simulation, and then uh, set it up how my circuit set up, and then we basically set up all the you set up all the um, time functions, and we hit go and it it's interesting because like it will take like those those capac- like if you, if it's ideal situations it will just take as much as you can give it
1: right well so yeah the the input gate on one of these beefy mosfets is is effectively a capacitor right yeah uh, and so if you if you think of it as the 595 is a driver that goes into this capacitor you put some series resistance in there and then you have an rc circuit that you can generally calculate or just simulate yes and and that's effectively what we did and that series resistance that goes into the mosfet we did we we stepped its value until we found a something that worked for about what was it 10 milliamps yeah Uh, I,
0: i think it ended up being about 12 to 13 but that's fine
1: right yeah so generally 10 just for the easy sake um but yeah, so that, that, that resistor does two things actually. It it limits and kind of slows down things. It prevents uh, a huge current inrush into the MOSFET, but it also squelches oscillations and kind of like
0: prevents the local
1: oscillation of, mm-hmm. of the MOSFET, which is incredibly.
0: Yeah. And I think it, and like the time frame where, like, when you turn on the MOSFET, like, when it goes back to steady state, it, what was it? it, it it's something ridiculous, like, only like, It's in the picosecond range.
1: I think, yeah, I think um, from the, like, the pulse going high, which we simulated simulated as if the driver, the 595, was, like, perfect. Yeah. We simulated where the the 595 went up in, gosh, one picosecond?
0: No, no, we actually looked at the rice time.
1: Oh, that's right. We changed it. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're yeah. right. We, we changed that. Well, regardless, the the whole current input spike it yeah. was uh, 600 picoseconds. Yeah. Uh. So so it kind of, you know, it it kind of did a capacitor char charge curve up to 12 or so milliamps, and then, you know, came back down to a steady state in about 600 picoseconds, yeah. which 600 picoseconds. Allows for a ridiculously fast switching, which in reality you're not going to get that. But no, um, like
0: our kernel on the Pinatar and also the PinHack runs at like a thousand hertz, which is plenty fast for a pinball machine, and yeah. 600 pico 6, I think it was like 133 megahertz or something like that. It's yeah. like, yeah. We're never going to be able to drive these Vets even close to that speed.
1: Right, right. <laughs> and and the uh, so yeah, the general pulse that would get sent out by a 595 is somewhere in the range of like 40 milliseconds. Uh, I believe we were saying. And so yeah, that that'd be plenty. Now you have, well, how many was it? 48 of these transistors. 24. 24. Okay. Um, so 24. Uh, let me see, like, if in the random case that all of them fired at the same time, like, how much current would, at peak in that curve, how much would flow across your little ground jumper, right? So it'd be 24 times uh, 0.012, right, for 12 milliamps? Uh, Well, that's at, like,
0: uh, in one picosecond.
1: Yeah, well, I'm saying at the peak. Yeah, if they the peak. all fired exactly the same time, what would be the most amount yeah. of current that would flow across yeah. that? It's uh,
0: 288 milliamps. So really, frankly, not that much. Not that much. And so we did jump just from a like safety standpoint. We went from an 0805 to a, what was the largest size I had? Like a 2560 or something like that? Yeah. Jumper. Just to be like, okay, there's no way, like, it's supposed to have zero ohms. It's not zero, though. It's like 0. 0.001 ohms, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I've, al- I've always
1: loved that because if you go search for zero ohm jumpers, uh, in terms of, like, surface mount components, they have a tolerance and they have a uh, power rating, which yes. which is funny.
0: Yeah. Tolerance is zero. Zero. Yeah.
1: Power rating on zero is zero. zero. It dissipates nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but they dissipate a little bit, and it's... Point oh 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 one ohm or whatever it is.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. so you have to you, you really have to look through the data sheet to actually get an understanding of what they mean by a tolerance
0: yeah. on zero. Now what would be interesting Oh man, this is goofy. If it had a lower resistance of, than a trace. I wonder if that would be possible. Uh, cuz if it was thicker, it would have a lower resistance.
1: Yeah. I however the uh, the resistance of Two solder jun- uh, junctions is always going to blow that. Going to be higher than the copper? Yeah, guaranteed. So, probably. solder, uh, you know, people probably, you know, slaughter me for saying this, but solder is actually not that fantastic of a conductor. It's just, it works really well for what we need it to do.
0: It works well enough for conductivity and it's easy to
1: assemble. Exactly. Exactly. It works. It, it does the manufacturing thing really, really well, but it's it's not ideal in terms of, uh, well, and, and a lot of times it's like, inside of ICs that's why you have the gold bonding and things like that it's a lot better than soldering things right mm-hmm. so um, yeah guaranteed no, I shouldn't say guaranteed but almost guaranteed a, just a trace connecting a big fat hamburger trace would uh, would work well for that
0: yeah but this is so that we can pop it off and we can put a ferret bead if we have noise problems that's what, how, why we did it on the pinheck we never had noise problems so we always say it as a jumper we're going to stay with the jumper we just made it a big jumper this time Right, yeah. 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 And then um to do cuz we're going to um surface mount FETs for everything. Woohoo! Cuz that was a big cost driver on Pinheck. like you're talking like 30 the 35 bucks was spent on assembling through hole.
1: Right. Just superfluous uh transistors everywhere like all around the edge.
0: Yeah. So these are these are all the the MOSFETs that are driving everything were not driving, sinking all the things, you should say. Um, and what really fails on pinball machines when stuff starts getting grimy and stuff, what happens is that coils start to heat up. And they start to basically kill their their um, flyback diode. And when they kill the flyback diode, when the solenoid turns on, the uh, MOSFET turns on, now it's got a straight short instead of the coil, uh, the inductance and the and the impedance of the coil to go through, so your MOSFETs just start to heat up a lot. Sure. And so what we're going to do with this current sensor is be able to test basically the machine's outputs from the board, and so we can say, hey, something's wrong here, it should go into service. Mm-hmm. Right. So are, the, um, <clears throat> are all the flyback diodes on the board, or shouldn't they be right next to the coil we put them on the coil okay there's some manufacturers out there that do put them on the board um because it's technically cheaper to do it that way but it squelches better right next to the coil
1: that's where it's supposed to be keep it local to the coil and then the and then there's no chance of issues or i shouldn't say no there's yeah. there's less chance
0: yeah so what happens is eventually those diodes just die or a coil wears out or something like that yeah and you're Pulling more power than you're expecting and then your mosfet heats up and let's say it, it gets stuck on mm-hmm. then so the great thing actually about using surface mount mosfets is if we ignored it it would reflow itself and just pop off the board because <laughs> i've seen <laughs> that before. Ma- mount the board such that gravity would just pull it right off yeah pull the mosfet right off right yeah yeah there you go because i've actually seen that before on other um pcbs just playing around like seeing like, can you actually like melt a MOSFET? No, it just desolders itself first. <laughs> <laughs> what the? What package are these? Are they D packs? They're D pack twos. Okay. Um, so they're beefy guys, and they yeah. will have a lot of uh, heat sinking just in case. Um, we're actually going to be dual loading them, so what there'll be MOSFETs on both sides of the board. Okay. Just because the they take up more space than a normal TO um, two twenty. Right. Because those stand vertical. Um, so yeah, it's it's getting there. Um, there's also there was something else I wanted to mention that you reminded me. Hmm. I can't remember anymore.
1: So yeah, so the particular MOSFETs that you got were are they rated up to something like 35 amps? What what's what's the normal like what what kind of amperage can you expect? So it's
0: fused the- with slow blow fuses to nine amps total. So it actually has three three amp fuses. Because we split, basically, because there's 24 of them, we split into banks of eight. Mm-hmm. And so each one's on a three-amp slow blow. So, yeah, that's usually normal. Like, if you fired all the solenoids at once, you would probably would blow a fuse. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you don't do that.
1: Yeah, there's not a situation where that happens, no. right? Or not an intended situation. Not an intended situation, correct. Okay, so how does a flipper work? Is it just a solenoid that with, like, a plunger that whacks? It actually
0: has two solenoids in it. Oh, one for open and close? No, it has a spring, a spring um, flip down. So a spring return, I should say. Mm. Um, but it actually has a it actually has a switch too in it. Um, so when you press the button, it sends a signal to the the pinotar, right, and then the pentar goes fire left flipper, and, um, and then that signal you know it turns the mosfet on, and then it um, so then it activates the solenoid, and the flipper will flip. But then when it hits a we have a what's called an end of stroke switch. When it hits the end of stroke switch, the penitar goes, "Oh, you hit the end of stroke," and then it turns off one of the. Oh, it turns off. Yeah, it turns off the high current um, coil, uh, okay. and then just keeps a low current hold. It's called a hold coil, but it's wrapped in the same coil. There's basically two uh, windings. In there. Okay, so one's there
1: for the for the real hard snap to yep. to throw the ball, and the other one's there to just basically keep the flipper up.
0: Yes, because you can because that's in a pinball machine. That's really the only solenoids that are activated for longer than like ten milliseconds. Like a pop bumper is like ten to fifteen milliseconds.
1: Right, because it's just got to smack the ball.
0: Yeah, it just pops. Right. Um. So this could be you know it's ten to fifteen milliseconds for the full activation to you hit the end of stroke mm-hmm. but then when you hold it you can hold it there forever and it won't burn a coil and you don't want to burn the coil out so you have a low hold current basically Got it. okay so, so the, the high current coil
1: the initial thwack coil uh, how much current is that going to pull
0: um, I think they pull you know I don't know what the actual number is I haven't actually put a meter on it because I bet you the instantaneous is a lot higher than the whole the like steady state of that coil
1: yeah Probably also I would I would guess it's uh, somewhat temperature dependent right yeah.
0: I would say theoretically if it was an ideal coil, it's infinite at time zero <laughs> 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 yeah, sure that is my answer <laughs> yeah a no, good one there <laughs> um, so and then I've uh, been working more on the the doom shitty add-on um, the hardware repo is all put together. It's not public yet I know I said I was gonna make it public last week but I still you know I've been working on Pinatar more um, and the software repo part is next. Um, I've been building detailed instructions for the build environment because I want to basically make sure a drunk person at Defcon can build the, the, the environment that they need to like code this thing um, it will come with software on it but you can change it so
1: nice you know I have to admit I'm I'm super jealous. Because I think you have sort of an engineer's like dream vacation, where you <laughs> you take a week off of work to go somewhere else and work on your own projects. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, like that sounds fantastic. And I know, I know, my wife would not be down for that. She'd be, you know, it'd be something where it's like, let's go here and hang out. And then I'm like, oh, let's go somewhere where I can work on something. Yeah. That would sound <laughs> Let nice. Let me go to my basement. Yeah, that sounds really great. No, I mean I would I would gosh, I would love to have, take a vacation to someone else's basement and work. I mean that's what know? I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I think that sounds like a great vacation. Uh and uh I love my wife. <laughs> I'm putting it that way. I know, I think it's I, I you know, regular vacation is fun, but like I don't
0: Yeah, a work vacation would be really cool. It, it's been nice so far. Yeah. No. So. Cool. And what did I bring you as a parting or not a parting gift, a, uh, a gift for letting me stay at your house?
1: You brought me something that kind of makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> so a few weeks ago, we were talking about this 3D printed Fredman clip that uh, I purchased from a I can't remember the name of the company, but out in well, it's probably Fredman uh, out in um, Canada. and also uh, the W. Wilkinson Audio. That's it. Yeah, Wilkinson Audio Fredman clip, which um, it's a clip that holds two microphones at a forty-five degree angle, such that you can do a particular recording technique that cancels phase. Phase. Yeah. And um, basically, what it does is it just removes nasty hiss and fuzz from um, your recording. You record with two microphones um and so i purchased this clip and you know i was not particularly thrilled with it and parker like in in during a podcast yeah i I actually
0: found the stl and started printing it
1: yeah he found he found an stl from a uh, complete rando and um printed the clip and what what really pisses me off about it is parker's clip looks awesome like it's really well done it's it's printed in black what polycarb it's
0: polycarbonate yeah yeah polycarbonate, and you use a 0.2? It's 0.2 millimeter print height, yeah. Yeah,
1: okay, so I'm holding both of these clips right now, and the Wilkinson Audio clip, it's, I mean, I've actually used it. It's totally functional, and it's great. I paid 20 bucks for it. Um, It's really thick, very obviously fast print um, uh, material, Mm -hmm. whereas Parker's is... It looks really clean and really nice, and we actually took two of my mics. In fact, I'm clipping them on right now, and uh, it does a perfectly good job of holding them, and it's just one of those things where it's like, ah, you know, like, Parker's... It's funny because Parker's <laughs> even looks more professional than the other one, you know? It, it, actually, if I, if I had originally received... Parker's print, as opposed to this other one, I probably wouldn't have even talked about it. I'd been like, "Oh, it's 3D printed. That's fine. It looks good." You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, no, these ones are a little, uh, a little off. Um, the one thing though, it doesn't. So I don't actually have two SM57 mics, which is that's what this is intended for. So I'm using an SM57 and an SM58, which some of the people in our Slack channel have pointed out they're actually the same mic, just with a slightly different um, cap. Well, okay. yeah, slightly different body, but also cap on the, on the top. It's the same um, sensing element. Um, but since this is intended for two SM57s, they don't have the same body. This clip doesn't hold them absolutely perfect. The 58, yeah. Uh, whereas the Wilkinson, because it actually, the clipping mechanism is on a different axis, it actually does hold it slightly better. Uh, so I would say maybe that's a win in that department, mm-hmm. but
0: um, but if you put two fifty sevens, in, that one be fine,
1: right? Yeah, if I had two fifty sevens, uh, the one you printed would be great. So one of these days when I have an extra hundred bucks lying around, I'll grab a second fifty seven. But um, yeah, so thank you for bringing that. Yeah, that was um, I don't know that's cool. Uh, I actually have some recordings to do, so I might I might try your clip on this. On those, so.
0: I'd like to hear them. For sure. And so one of the projects that we wanted to do when we uh, when I came up here for vacation was the text adventure game.
1: Right, which we came up with, gosh, a few months ago? Yeah, a few months ago. At this point. So you want to give a quick um, description of what the project was for those who haven't? Yeah, so it?
0: the text adventure game is going to be a USB serial dongle that you plug into your computer it has it'll you'll have a you have the terminal into it and it will be like a text adventure like Zork the old video game and so we want to use some of the hardware aspects because the fact that we actually have hardware so we can do speakers or we can do lights and stuff like that um, and the cool thing is Mauser Electronics is going to be sponsoring this project that's right thank you Mauser. yeah thank you Mouser um, and so yeah um, so Steve and I went to a bar after a barbecue with uh it was uh Danny Danny's. Danny
1: Danny Rankin, which was episode one seventy something. Yeah, one seventy something. The uh what the mayonnaise drone mayonnaise and other drone. war crimes yes. is the name of the, <laughs> the episode. So go check him out. Uh it's actually kind of funny because Parker was coming up and then Danny was like, I've got a barbecue at my house. I was like, Well, Parker's coming to that. Yeah, so after that we went to a bar. Yeah. And drank
0: Lots of beers.
1: Lots of beers. They came up and, with some... You know, it's, it's funny because we were kind of mentioning it. Um, we've had a couple of months that we could have worked on this project, but a long time ago we said... Why don't we just work on it when you come up because it's working on a project like this where you have to be a little bit creative as opposed to just like rigid and hard and with design it's really hard to like log in over Google Chat and like be creative on that so we just said let's go to a bar let's sit down and write down a bunch of stuff yep. and we were super productive
0: yes it was a lot of fun we actually we pretty much wrote the main characters yep we wrote the the be- general story general story the beginning and end we still got to fill in the middle gaps a bit, um, but it's going to be—we changed it a bit from our initial conception from like ten podcasts ago. Yeah. So it's going to be more mystery. Yeah. And a little bit of horror in it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and there's going to be there's going to be a lot of discovery. Um, you know, because it's Parker and I, there will be plenty of Easter eggs. Yes. Probably a lot of Easter eggs that you won't even know are Easter eggs yeah. just because
0: like. We were drinking a bunch of beer and we we're
1: like, "Wow, oh, we should throw that in there." Yeah, <laughs> so, basically, we have we
0: have a list of like things we just want in it. Yeah. what's the list name? There's a, we uh, name you know, what, let it. me
1: let me turn to that page. I wrote it on the. Uh, game flavor.
0: Yeah, we call it game flavor.
1: I I have, like, (laughs) two pages of just flavor that that we're writing in there. And so, like, honestly, the way I kind of want this to be is where anyone who gets one of these dongles and plays our game, I want them to just be like, ah, yeah, that's cool, like, as they play through Mm it. Like, I don't know. I think that would be a ton of fun. So we've got some pretty, like, we're trying to rope in as much as possible, um,
0: like there's a bit of meta around this game yeah i would say it's pretty much it yeah meta and and kind of like the pop culture that steven and i grew up with yeah and because we we a lot of the stuff we've actually watched is the same but there's a lot of stuff we like done separately so a lot of that stuff is in this because it's not going to have like everything like like i would say like Some pop culture stuff like make sure it does like Ghostbusters and make sure it does X and Y. It's like, no, this is just stuff that Steve and I have been exposed to.
1: Right. You get to see take a quick little glance inside of our messed up minds and see all the weird stuff we like from when we were younger all the way up till now. And um, so there's a bunch of different locations to visit in this game. Well, I don't know. Maybe not a bunch. But there's there's plenty of unique locations. There's some RPG elements. Mm-hmm. There's a small amount of randomness that goes into this. Uh, there a there lot won't of- be
0: any game mechanics that's random.
1: No, no. In fact, we, we kind of discussed that because um, I think we even had this as an RFO at one point in time. Uh, Zork, the original Zork game had
0: randomness to... When you picked up an item, it would randomize the weight. Right. Um, it, it Actually, there was a number for it. It basically would randomize if you could put it in your inventory or not. I would yeah. say it's not because of the weight. It would just basically randomize if you could put it in your inventory, and if you failed, it would say it was too heavy. Whereas if you just tried it again, it would it, go. Yeah,
1: yeah. But 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 there was no – it didn't convey
0: that to the player no, at it all. It said you can't put it in inventory. It's too heavy. Yeah, so you just trust the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: it, was, it was very much trolly. It was, it was, a was troll. super trolly. We we are incredibly against that. Though the one thing I don't want to ever do with this game is like leave you the player saying, "What do I do? Where do I go? How do I do that?" Like, or that's BS. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. So we're not gonna troll you at all. Like the 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 parts. Like if you do, if you get past a section, we want you to feel like. I conquered that section, you yes. know, like
0: my wit or my smarts. Yeah. So today. I'm going to take a look at the notes because I actually haven't looked at them since like oh, that gosh. night.
1: Oh well, yeah, okay. And so I just you want to get to see some- my beer writing.
0: Yeah, I just want to pick out one and read it. Pick okay. something out.
1: Uh, it's multiple pages. I'll so yes. look through that right now, though. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I don't know. It's going to be really cool. Uh, hopefully, there's elements of every part of the game that need to be activated.
0: Uh, oh, so yeah. I'll I'll say right here is the um, – because you're a detective or your character is a detective. Yep. And he's a robot, right? And his serial number is D373C7153. So it's stuff like that. Um, That's a little bit of the flavor text, so to speak. There's –
1: yeah, there's a lot of –
0: Wow, we actually did write a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. We were only there for two hours. No, we were there for longer than that. Yeah, my, uh, we were, uh, my wife was at the barbecue with us and she just, she had a play to go to in a different city. So she took the car and we walked across the street to the brewery. And then she came and picked us up way later that night.
0: And all we did was work on this game. Yeah, basically worked until the sun went down. And then we couldn't read it, read, like, write yeah. down anymore. Right.
1: that You know, and that's that's a really good um, thing there. All I had was a purple pen. And at Twilight, if you're writing in purple, you can't see
0: anything. Can't read it.
1: Yeah, yeah. so um, learn from my mistake on that one. <laughs> yeah, so
0: the, uh, maybe we're going to do a little location. uh Spoil as Oh, okay. well. yeah, you spoil some locations. So it's it's a you it's a space station. Mm-hmm. And it's a four-spoke space station. So one is like the landing dock that you arrive at, mm-hmm. and the center is a sh- It's a shopping mall. Yep. So yep. It's a shopping mall in space, basically.
1: Right. So yeah, yeah. Like think of think of a shopping mall with four spokes hanging uh, mm-hmm. ex-
0: protruding out of it. Correct. And uh, we're going to call it the conservatory. That's right. The mall food court. <laughs> So you know a, a lot
1: of the details about how the game is going to come alive. I mean, this that's still to be worked out, but you know to kind of reiterate.
0: Oh yeah, and, oh the um our our stats the RPG. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's robot R readiness O observance, which is perception. Uh, readiness is is dexterity. Uh, beauty is charisma, so it's R O B. The next O is offense, which is your strength. And T is tenacity, which is your constitution.
1: I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, so let's let's boil it down. Uh, I know we've talked about it, but just um, to kind of dispel confusion, basically we're making a USB stick that you will be able to get somehow. We haven't figured that out yet, you you being anyone. Uh, And you take this USB stick, you plug it into your computer, and you serial terminal into it, and the game starts and then good luck yes
0: um it will not have saving right so when it powers off you lose your game um but it's not going to be like a game that takes 10 hours i'm hoping like you can do it in a sitting like maybe an hour and a half an hour ish
1: yeah, yeah, we were we yeah, we were thinking if you haven't played the game at all and you don't know any of the puzzles and you're discovering everything. Probably two to three hours. Two to three hours is yeah. what we're kind of shooting for. If you've played the game before and you want to do some more exploration or whatnot, maybe like 30 minutes to an hour something like yes. that. Um, so that's kind of cross our fingers. Uh, my wife is an avid mystery uh, reader, so we're going to give her the story and she's going to tell us that. We did a lot of dumb things, and she's going to rewrite some chunks of it and help us out uh, yes. to make a cohesive story. Yeah, here. but 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 we we do have the the beginning and the end. We know those two things. Well, inside. we call them states. We have
0: a beginning state <laughs> and then an end yeah, state. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because technically, these will be states inside the, the yeah. The there's USB actually going to be a yeah. like what runs this whole game is going to be a ginormous state machine. <laughs>
1: right, right. Uh, so actually you know I don't think we've talked
0: about this are we going to publish this uh, publishes as in like the source code ever yeah I think we'll probably release it and just um, like I think we'll just have the hardware open source stuff as well yeah so people can build it and just provide a hex file and then maybe like six months down the road when people have actually had a chance to play it and stuff we will release the source code
1: yeah I like that yeah yeah that's that, that's that's good um, cool that, that'll be fun so uh, keep uh, yeah neat Keep your eyes open for that. We we made huge strides. So the uh, sort of the next step with that is kind of cleaning up the story. But now that we have, like, what we want to have happen, um, yeah, the next step we need is to start to, making the
0: hardware. Yeah. The, the next step is to clean up the story, make it all fleshed out, and then build a map based off the story. Right. Because we just have, like, an overview of, like, these are the areas you can go to. Right. But like in those areas, there's gonna be rooms and passageways. And yeah, stuff we, like that.
1: yeah. So far, we have four areas, and it, the game would be boring if you had to just travel between four areas. So Correct. Yeah, we need to make that a little bit thicker. Yes.
0: And yeah. then, um, then once that's done, then we can do hardware. Because in reality, the hardware is gonna be fairly simple, and what we put on it, like the what the flavor hardware. Exactly. The flavor exactly, hardware yeah. is. God has to be derived from, from the story. I don't want to put something on the board and be like, we have to work that in.
1: No, 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 no. It has to go the other direction. Yes. But the board has to reference the game.
0: Yes. Yeah. The
1: board has to bring its flavor to the game and potentially be important to the game.
0: Yeah, that's... It's like, why can't you just make this a, you know, a C program? And you just hit like an EXE, right? Yeah, the whole, the whole point is that, like, we're providing a unique
1: hardware experience. Yes. Where, like... This is a random stick. You plug it into your computer, and there's a whole world inside that stick. Yeah, and
0: the hardware is part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: So that's going to be fun. So basically, hopefully, by the end of my vacation, we have basically all the way to, like, now we need to do hardware.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have a good handful of days left, so yep. yeah, we can, we can knock that out. Maybe we'll go to another bar. Go to another bar, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, tonight, I'm cooking pizza from scratch, and while I'm doing that, we're going to be fleshing out the story more. Yep. Yep. So, on to the RFO. Rapid Fire Opinions. Yes. So, these are really weird RFOs this week, (laughs) uh, mainly because since I've not been really working, I haven't been, like, scouring Twitter or anything like that for RFOs, but... This one really cool tweet by um, I don't think he made this, but it's nameless, nameless TV. Um, he posted a cheeseburger wind tunnel test. <laughs> and the first thing I thought of. So go click on the link, guys, and it's pretty funny looking. But the first thing I thought of was McDonald's is making sure that cheeseburgers can go down your throat as fast as possible so <laughs> you can eat more.
1: Right. Yeah. You buy another cheeseburger. Yeah. Right Still away. Still hungry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's only going I think the GIF says it's only going uh, 0.05 mocks. How fast is that? Uh, Google that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, out of out of
1: everything, um, uh, the McDonald's cheeseburger might be the highest
0: engineered food out there. Could be. It is only going 38.3 miles per hour, or in non-freedom units, 61.74 kilometers per hour. <laughs> Not freedom Hey, it's July Fourth week. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, like, uh, you, know, you know, so it's July Fourth week. You know, what else happened this week? What was that? The, U- the oh, what Canada the, Day? Mm-hmm. No, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team beat the England team today. Oh. so we have uh, two losses by England. We're gonna <laughs> lose all our English li- listeners. <laughs> the two
1: losses by yeah. England. <laughs> Back to back, only three hundred years apart. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, back on topic. Yeah. So it's yeah, only going right. what thirty eight miles per hour.
1: Well, when was the last time you saw a cheeseburger going thirty eight miles an hour? Um, last time I ate one. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's great. But so, I, so- I
0: wonder how much lift the bun provides. Uh, I'm sure they're measuring
1: it because in this image, it's like legit in a wind tunnel, a wind tunnel, yeah, yeah. and
0: and I guarantee their apparatus like
1: <gasps> I wonder that.
0: if different condiments have different like coefficient of frictions to keep the bun on. What, what's, what's so weird about this is like you look at it and the cheeseburger is like perfectly still. Yeah, so you can probably go faster.
1: Yeah, it does I mean, okay, so it obviously has a boatload of turbulence in yeah. the bag. <laughs> yeah, behind it. But the, <laughs> but, the, but the leading edge of of the cheeseburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> looks very yeah. similar to an airplane wing in a, in a tunnel. Yes, it's very laminar. Yeah, very <laughs> laminar condiments. And so, and why did why are the str- the streams not like yellow and and red like they should oh,
0: <laughs> for McDonald's?
1: Yeah, no, 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 to have like ketchup and mustard streams. Oh,
0: because <laughs> <laughs> they're not us, Steven.
1: Yeah, that yeah yeah. So I found um I actually found a, a different well I found an um. How do you pronounce this?
0: I-M-G-U-R. Imgur. Im- Imgur. Is, is that how everyone, like, I don't, sure. honestly, I've never even talked to anyone about it. It's like okay. the people who are going to email us that I said GIF wrong. You
1: did not say GIF wrong because that's how GIF is pronounced.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I,
1: found a, I found an Imgur that has the wind tunnel cheeseburger, but they also have, apparently somebody put a, a mock model of a Millennium Falcon in a wind tunnel. And uh, surprising... Well, they took it up to Mach 3. That's uh, a really fast is, wind tunnel. Which is a hell of a lot faster than the cheeseburger. Yes. That's for sure. And, you know, I have no clue how to read a, um, a wind tunnel diagram. However, it is um, next to something that is supposedly uh, aerodynamic. And and apparently the, uh, the Millennium Falcon is not terribly un-aerodynamic. I mean, I'm sure, like, it has all kinds of,
0: like bits glued to it yeah like the the satellite dish and stuff like would the satellite dish in real life even hold up to mach 3 (laughs) in like one atmosphere no i guarantee you not yeah yeah what is mach 3 in freedom units uh fast 2301 miles an hour wow yeah that's fast that's really fast i saw
1: something the other day that was uh (laughs) Like freedom units, however,
0: ammunition is
1: in millimeters.
0: Some some ammo is, yeah.
1: Most ammo is. Right?
0: No, 30 odds, 0.30. Right, but handgun ammo? Oh, well, yeah, i say some is, some it's not. <laughs> okay. Some's 9 millimeters, 10 millimeters. There's 45, which is a handgun ammo. Right. So, and 45 is a imperial measurement, so. Forty-five is 0. 0.45 inch. Yeah, easy.
1: <laughs> Very easy, right? <laughs> Easier than nine,
0: right? Sure. <laughs> now I like the metric system a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I think we should. I think we should migrate.
0: Yes, except for woodworking.
1: Why because woodworking is like where it's awful?
0: No, the imperial system. Because you, you can't buy metric anything cut. Wait, what do you mean? Like, you buy a four foot by eight foot piece of plywood. Or you that, just buy the equivalent. But in it's going to be metric. like three, it's going to be like some decimal in metric. Oh, well. I would switch over to okay, metric. So, so g- round to the nearest millimeter, you'll be fine. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um,. I think we've had this discussion before. It's like they should use all the units in metric. Like we need decameters. Well, I mean, you've been over this a couple of times. Like, isn't that how it's intended to be? Yeah. But people just use centimeters, millimeters, and meters.
1: Honestly, Honestly, like from what I've found is you use millimeters and meters. Like centimeters are also used, but not as much, you know, um, because especially in what I've I've seen in, in my industry, like you'll see things in the multi-hundred millimeters. It's like, well, you could have gone centimeters, but they people just don't.
0: Yeah. I think basically people pick the, like there's someone long time ago or a group of people a long time ago pick like these like four or five or the ones that we're going to stick with. And so people don't have to learn 20 or 30 or whatever, how many there are. All the prefixes. I so. Yeah, I mean it's like when I see um, I, like I call out for like a one nano farad cap, and I'm like, nah, <laughs> I got to figure out what what to pick in the Mauser drop down. Oh really? Because <laughs> Mauser oh. doesn't do it nanometer, uh, nanofarads. I don't think.
1: No, nah, they do micro. They do pico, micro. They do milli. Yeah, there's milli. and farad, which they basically the the one they don't do is nano. Which I use nano all the time. I I actually, so like in a lot of my stuff, I'll do like take a 10 nanofarad cap. I like 10 nanofarad as opposed
0: to 0.01 microfarad. Yeah, I was about to ask do you like 100 nanofarads or do you like 0.1 microfarad? Uh, Usually.
1: I, I like to go with nanofarads, and the reason why I do, even though I don't do it at work because our standard is not to do that. My, in personal stuff, I like to write out 100 nanofarad. The reason why is because having a, a decimal in the value I've found can be a little bit confusing, especially if you print it on the soak screen, if you ever need to do that on a board. Oh, yeah, I can because see Because it can be harder to read. 100 nanofarad is a lot easier and bigger to print than a single dot. Dots. And that gets confusing. because
0: that dot could be under your minimal screen size, right? Which like no EDA tool does a DRC check on. <laughs> no, they no, don't care about. that.
1: Yeah, and then and then if the decimal gets gets missed, then you get something that says like zero one u, and then that's really oh, it's confusing. One microfarad, right? Right. Yeah. Then that's really confusing. So that's why I typically go with, uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll I'll stick to the notation of p and u m f is that's what it is right yes yeah yeah yeah. and then i said that didn't I? did you yeah i think well I, did. I reiterated it yeah there we go uh actually here's here's a question for you when you write values for resistors do you do lowercase or capital k
0: i do capital kilo?
1: k okay i almost always use lower Weird. it's just i know it's just no. <laughs> it's just a thing no i do communist yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know like that that's a lot of stuff it's funny um going from do you spell cathode with a k sometimes yes actually sometimes and technically there's situations where that's correct uh well it depends on what country you're in it depends on what country it also depends on what you're referencing the ancient greek cathodos was actually the word that that came from, and that starts yeah, with a K. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes it makes sense to do that. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, the, uh, what was I going on? Oh, yeah, like, the, it's funny because you don't really think about this stuff a lot of times, especially if you're just, like, a hermit in your basement working. But um, switching over from working at Macrofab and coming up here and working for a completely different engineering firm, like this kind of stuff you start to clash as soon as you start dealing with multiple engineers you have to start asking these questions where it's like do we use n or do we only use u do we do lowercase or capital k like because we want all of our products to be unified you know so you you want everything to look right right so you have to you know there's a style guide that you kind of have to create with this (laughs) Mm kind of stuff so that was a tangent yep from cheeseburgers to style guides yes (laughs) And everything in between. So, the uh, next topic we have in the RFO, I, I put this on here because I'm going to say this is like thumbs up. This is what you do with a 3D printer, uh, or a really great example of what to do with a 3D printer. This is an article I found on Hackaday called Wire Bender Aims to Take Circuit Sculptures to the Next Level. And basically, what it is is just a demonstration of a guy who built an automatic wire bending machine. Uh, almost entirely out of 3D-printed brackets and anvils and things like that. It's really cool. cool. It's really cool. It's like a little NEMA 17 stepper motor with some extra uh, accoutrement that goes with it. And uh, it's it's a pretty cool little wire bender that I I would assume is programmable fully. This is something I've been wanting to make for a long time myself, but eventually will happen or not happen. But um, the... The work that the guy did with 3D printing is beautiful, in my opinion, and it's it's a really great example of, like, here is a stepping stone from I have an idea and I want something to be finished, I can make really rigid and solid, like, pieces 3D printed, and I think this guy could really take most of those pieces with a little bit of, um, you know, uh, optimization, he could make them machinable and turn it into a real wire bender that, um, wouldn't wear out. You know, the, the problem with a wire bender like this is the, the bending anvil and the teeth. I was going to say,
0: do you call that the, a mandel or an anvil? Uh, I've always heard it been called anvil. Okay. So the anvil is 3d print as well. And I'm, I was looking at the video. I'm like, that's part of the, what will wear out. Oh, that'll wear out really fast. Uh, maybe not
1: really, but generally pretty fast. If that was made of aluminum, it would still wear.
0: Yeah. It needs know. to be hardened steel. Yeah, exactly. But you but can't 3D print that yet.
1: Not, not yet. But we're, we're we're getting there. I've seen some some pretty cool stuff recently. Um, but this 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 is so great. Like this is where 3D printers I think excel. Like you have an idea, you can crap it out real fast, you can test it, and then you take that and you go to the next level is machine it and make it out of something more rigid. So no. I just wanted to showcase that because I know we've been kind of shitting on 3D printed stuff, and I wanted to say like. Thumbs up. This is good stuff. Yep. I want to see more of this.
0: So our next topic is... It's not really a topic either. This is weird. It's weird. Um, It's an apparatus for facilitating the birth of a child by centrifugal force. And it's a patent image. (laughs) Parker just randomly (laughs) sent me this on Slack. Like it was a random Reddit post and I was like,
1: what's this? I click on it I'm like, oh good lord. What (laughs) the hell is this?
0: (laughs) So my only question I I, I guess I need to sit down and read the actual patent. Like the the words in it is that just the picture but I, I where does the baby go
1: okay well let's first let's just do a random not random let's describe this real quick
0: okay so it's a thing like it's a hospital bed yeah and it's in a circular room and it spins and you uh you
1: a uh, uh, Place a woman on one of the the edge of this bed that spins around the room. Think of like um, it's like the astronaut testing facility. Yeah, where well, they, they spin they, around, they, they spin out. them on for uh, yeah. Well, I mean that's not the point, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they do.
0: <laughs> Never you see it in the test. movies, yeah, yeah, you see that uh, that happens. So
1: I mean, like I guess the the idea of this patent was if you uh, position a pregnant woman correctly and then you spin her around a <laughs> room, you can aid birthing. Yeah, the qu- But but yeah, you, you bring up a really good question. Does the
0: doctor himself sit at the end of this table? Oh, and he's getting spun around as well. Yeah, so so he can catch the baby. Yeah, I liked your idea though. Is like it, there's like 40 people with catcher mitts. Yeah,
1: with catcher mitts, and and they're all in a circle around the room. Yes. Right? Yeah, and and you all place bets. Who's going to catch, catch the baby? The baby? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Honestly, have you ever have you ever just gone to Google Patent Search and just like. Cruised for a little bit. No, I haven't. No. It's fun because you'll find random crap like this. Like, I mean, uh, the the patent uh, the U.S. Patent Office is not particularly picky about things. Like, if you want to patent this, you can. Like, it just takes money and time and effort. You know, uh, so. It doesn't it really doesn't mean that you're gonna get anything out of it. It just means that you have a piece of paper saying you thought of this thing <laughs> yeah, first. This, this thing, right? I was first. I was first to think of an apparatus for facilitating the birth of a child by centrifugal force.
0: So I've got a question, and this is also a question for our listeners, for our Slack channel, is if you could design something that would operate by using centrifugal force, what would it be? Uh I might design something.
1: Let's see here. I okay. So something that would um, you would load your toothpaste tube in, into it. Oh, and it would take all the paste and, out. And it would take. Yeah, it. You would get one hundred percent
0: of the the paste out of it. I was thinking ketchup. Oh, that's good too. Or Mustard. It yeah. just spun it around. But then I'm like, it, you basically would probably end up make. You'd have to make it so you were. This circles back to the cheeseburger wind test because you get <laughs> you'd have to figure out how fast your cheeseburger could go. So you can figure out the max speed of your rotational, of because oh. you, you, you put your, your your you put your mustard container right in the in the in the centrifugal th- device right yeah thing it yeah, spins yeah. and then the cheeseburger goes on one end yeah that's the doctor with the glove is the cheeseburger <laughs> right and then that spins and but you have, you can't go too fast or so the burger will fly apart right you want to deposit the right amount of condiment yes uh, onto the burger right yeah. that I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. That could totally work. That would be a very good entry to the Useless Machine Project contest. That would be, which we (laughs) have
1: had a couple more entries. Yes. Uh, So it's starting to pick up now, which is pretty awesome. Um, Actually, okay, so the Heinz 57 ketchup bottle. I actually saw this on, gosh, I don't remember where. It was a while ago. Um, But you know how the, the glass bottles, like, ketchup gets stuck in it? Oh, and you, like, hit the end of it? Well, okay, the little embossed area that's 57. Okay, um, yeah. Apparently, that is the optimal place to tap the bottle to make uh, stuff come out, and they put it there on purpose. So you would hit it? You hit the 57, and that that's, like, the perfect spot, huh. which is interesting. But So ketchup is a non-Newtonian fluid. So the thing about it is, like, once you get it flowing, it wants to flow, but it's hard to get it to flow, right? Yeah. Uh, so something about that one particular area is, like, you know,
0: tap there probably some residence or something like that in the glass <laughs> bottle hot burger tips from the MacroFab <laughs> engineering <laughs> podcast <laughs> so what would you our listeners design and for that uses centrifugal force we'd like to know yeah dot uh, Slack, right yeah dot com slash slack
1: yeah that's right
0: yep join yeah. up and uh, let us know yep and i think that will end this podcast i think it will too yeah so that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you are a listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Or a way to utilize centrifugal force in a useful or useless manner. Uh, tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer with no O's or at analogeng or emails at podcast at macfab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps this show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.